here we go. First episode of the KSDK Sports Plus podcast. I'm your producer, Corey Miller here. I've got KSDK Sports Director Frank Cusimano with me for this first episode. Frank, first of all, KSDK Sports Plus podcast. You like that name? What do you think? Anytime you put the word Sports Plus, it's a good idea. It's a good little uh, hook to people, especially our older audience. Say Sports Plus and people are like, oh yeah, the couch. Oh, not just the older audience. I used to watch. I used to watch. Okay. So, I have, a, I have an outline here, but first of all, okay, we just watched Tiger win the Masters. We have to talk about that. Uh, I tweeted, it's the greatest individual comeback of any athlete I've ever seen. I mean, I haven't been around that long, but where do you think this ranks up there as to, in terms of comebacks? Well, I think in terms of, like, Mount Rushmore great moments in sports specifically, you have Ali Frazier, you have Miracle on Ice, you have Game 6 here at Bush. And you have what happened here today in Saint, in, uh, in Augusta, Georgia. I, I can't think of anything more compelling I've watched in a long, long time. Um, even if you disagreed with what he did, you still had to be rooting for what you saw here today. It was just, I could not take my eyes off it. I just, I'm never going to forget this Sunday morning. Did you ever think this would happen again? Well, sure. I think that after what we saw, yeah, he's been building in, in Reeve at Bell Reeve this summer. Yeah, and then when he won a little bit after that, I think we thought it was was coming. But let's face it, no one thought a few years ago this was happening. Not with a broken down body and a wounded psyche. There's there's nobody that thought that. You see him walking off, and he's hugging his wife and or his not his his mom and his kids. And there's been some people on Twitter having the side by side of when he hugged his dad back at the Masters. What do you think when you saw just the emotion come out of him? What do you think he was? Going? I well, mean, this guy's been through a lot. Yeah, I mean, again, I know there's still Tiger Woods cynics out there, and I've gotten some, you know, firing back at me oh, on really? Twitter. But I'll just say this: if if you didn't get a little choked up, and if you weren't somewhat moved by him hugging his little boy Charlie right after that, and then thinking, because we were all thinking about the hug with Earl Woods when Earl was in a really tough part of his life and had heart issues and probably should have been there, I mean, you didn't. If you watched that and you didn't get a little emotional, you're probably not a member of the human race. <laughs> Tiger, the big story today nationally. The big story here, obviously, the Blues going for. Game three win tonight to go up three to nothing, which I can't believe. Uh, I thought this was going to be, it still can be a pretty tough long series, but the Jets usually play them pretty tough, and to take two in Winnipeg is in, insane, I think. Bennington has been dominant. Have you ever seen a rookie like this perform for the Blues in the postseason so far? No. In fact, we haven't seen many goaltenders perform like this for the Blues in the postseason because, um, let's be honest, when they have faltered in the postseason, it almost always has been goaltending related, whether it's Roman Turek with a bruised ego or Grant Fuhrer with a bruised knee yeah. or Curtis Joseph not playing his best. It's always been about the goaltender, somebody just getting blown up like a Ryan Miller. This guy has done for this Blues franchise in a short period of time similar to what Kurt Warner did for the Rams. Now, I'm not saying Jordan Bennington is going to the Hall of Fame and going to be MVP and play in all-star games. I am saying in this short period of time, he's done exactly what Warner did for the Rams. Here, you were in the locker room earlier today on Sunday. Ask uh, Captain Petrangelo about uh, what he thought about Bennington. Here's what he had to say. Alex, your, your goaltender has been pretty good, and it hasn't surprised you. It's kind of an evaluation of what Jordan has meant, especially in this postseason so far. Well, he's been terrific. I mean, obviously his first 
postseason, right? It's not going to be. Uh, I'm sure he was nervous, but certainly doesn't show it. So he's been stellar so far. Ice in his veins. I made a. I had a tweet the other day. Imagine if they do go on to win the cup. Does he celebrate? I mean, I can't even picture Jordan Bennington like celebrating at all. Well, he is low-key and he is understated, but I imagine if he gets a chance to lift that cup, he'll be screaming at the top of his lungs. So we say it seems like we say this every year if they win a couple games, but is this a different Blues team? Is it the same old Blues, or are we seeing something different? Well, it is. I mean, you have all these, like, historical numbers. They've never had a team with 13 guys with 10 or more goals. They've never had a team with three defensemen with 10 or more goals. They've never had a goaltender who's you know, going into the postseason is the absolute best in the league. And they also have a coach in Craig Berube who um, he's not going to like fill your notebooks or fill your sportscasts with colorful sound bites, mm-hmm. but what you see is what you get. And he, he holds everybody accountable. He doesn't probably you know, grant the stars anything special. And boy, if a, if a star is not doing what he wants, that star is going to hear it. I mean, he's gone from the most interim of coaches in the National Hockey League to a guy that's going to sign a three-year deal probably in a couple of months. Yeah. Now, I've seen when I've watched the Blues in the playoffs over the last couple of years, they get in these long, hard-fought series, and they just get worn out, especially against San Jose. I thought that happened, uh, was that two or three years ago. Uh, if they can maybe sweep or get by Winnipeg here early and wait for Nashville, how big of a... How big of a boost do you think that could be? Or Dallas. Or Dallas. Yeah, I'm actually even more concerned about Dallas. So am I. Yeah. I'd rather them play Nashville. I wish they would have played Nashville in the first round because that 4-1 and one against them this year, they don't have a problem with them this year. You don't want to look too far ahead because I think yeah. Winnipeg is going to come out flying tonight, and this is going to be a little longer series than people think. But you have to believe in that second round, you've had success against Nashville, and you are a better team than Dallas. Mm-hmm. The team that scares me in the whole Western Conference is San Jose. They who, can't beat them. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Last Blues thought here real quick. Anybody else jump out at you in this first couple games so far? Maybe who has yeah. to come up big tonight? Well, the guy who's really jumped out at me is Pat Maroon, yeah. who everybody was completely down on uh, the entire season. The numbers weren't there. This is a guy with a 27-goal season on his resume. And people don't realize he was coming off surgery in the offseason. So he wasn't healthy, new team, nothing clicked for him. And now down the stretch, I mean, in game two, that was an unbelievable play. That was one of the best plays of the season for the Blues. You know, the Jets did everything to try to knock him Mm -hmm. off the puck, and he just kept carrying into the zone, and he made the great assist. So Pat Maroon has definitely been the most impressive guy for me. Good for for him. I mean, everybody wanted him to do well coming back to town, and it was just – Disappoint. I mean, it was. He felt so bad for him the first part of the season. Do you think there's a chance he might resign? Oh, I think you know you make your money on what you do in the postseason. Yeah. And if Maroon continues this, there's no reason why, um, you know, Doug Armstrong wouldn't bring him back. And there's no reason why Pat would try to hold out. I guess if some team offered you some silly money for three, yeah. but there, believe me, what Pat Maroon wants to do is play hockey in St. Louis, Missouri, where his son can go to the games and all of his friends can go watch him play too. Perfect. So let's get into some Cardinals now. And really, the story I think so far this year, and you touch on it almost on a nightly basis in your sports cast, where would the Cardinals be without John Brevia and John Gant out of the bullpen? I don't think anybody saw them being as dominant as they've been so far. Yeah, Brevia sitting there with that .00 ERA, and I think Gant's at .84. Two guys making either the minimum or slightly above it, and they've just been sensational. And I guess... 
you know, now, you know, it's, it's no great revelation, but the heavy accent is on these middle relievers because starters only go four and five innings. And with the Cardinals, that's really the case. I mean, with the exception of a Wainwright or a Waka and a Flaherty start from time to time, these starters are going less than five innings. So these guys who can go multiple innings and who throw hard, they're not quite like, you know, the Alex Reyes or the Carlos Martinez just blow away you with, you know, with the radar gun, but they are fun to watch, and they have just been so instrumental. Eventually, you think, though, the bullpen is not going to have to be as good as they have been. I mean, the starting rotation was supposed to be the strong suit of this whole team, I think, and they can only go maybe five innings. They're walking a bunch of guys a game. You don't think the bullpen's going to have to be this strong all the way through, do Probably you? Probably not, because it looks, it looks like Wainwright is legit, and you know Jack Flaherty we know is going to be special. I, I sincerely doubt if Michaelis will pitch yeah. like this all season long. And the thing about it is, too, if you look at that bullpen and you see some arms there that are not real impressive right now, like Webb, um, Mike Myers has been good. Dominic Leone's been really good. I do think that when you add, you know, Carlos and Reyes is going to figure it out and he'll be back in a month, that bullpen has the potential to be just unbelievable. You touched on Wainwright a little bit there. Are, I mean, I'd never bet against Adam Wainwright, but I didn't think, just his last two starts, I didn't think we'd see that kind of guy in 2019. Are you surprised at all? Yeah, and I think everybody is, except Wainwright himself. I mean, I think if you got Mike Schilt on a lie detector, I don't think he'd say, <laughs> yeah, this guy's going to be flirting with a no-hitter in the sixth inning in Mexico and coming off an unbelievable outing. But, you know, he's doing it with guts and guile. And, you know, as, as he told us in spring training, he finally had an off season where he didn't have any rehab to do. He could just, you know work out a little bit and throw. So this is like the first time we've had Adam Wainwright healthy in a couple weeks, a couple so, years. So Wainwright's been impressive, but on offense, Colton Wong and Paul DeYoung uh, have really stepped their games up. Well, we've seen DeYoung have stretches like this before, but Colton Wong, is he told us in the locker room, he's out to prove he's no fluke. Uh, do you think that he can keep this up? How long do you think he can keep this up? Well... I don't believe Colton Wong is going to be hitting 311 at the end of the season, yeah. and I don't believe that Paul DeYoung is going to be hitting 316. But I do believe that they are making the next step in their careers as offensive players. I'd love to see like DeYoung be a, a fifth hitter. They got him in the three spot. But, I mean, we are so fortunate to have a shortstop who's got a great chance to hit 25 home runs for the next five years and for a second baseman to win five straight gold gloves and have a respectable on-base percentage and decent power. I mean, this is a great you know, combo to work around. And here's the thing, too, is that a lot of people don't realize this, that Spring training starts around Valentine's Day. Those guys were working on ground balls with Jose Okendo in January. There's a certain chemistry with DeYoung and Wong that we haven't had because we've had rotating second basemen here for years. We haven't had that established shortstop maybe since, you know, Renteria, although Peralta was okay. So I, I love the chemistry between those two. What do you think? A lot's been made about Colton Wong's confidence maybe under Mike Schilt. He just gushed the two gush about each other. How do you think Wong is different under Schilt maybe than he has been the last few years? Well, you know, I liked a lot of the things that Mike Matheny did as the manager, but he and Colton didn't mesh. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, La Russa Ozzie, La Russa Scott Rowland, sometimes just doesn't work with, with an individual manager and a player. Now, in Mike's defense, 
there were times where Colton Wong was just so bad offensively that he couldn't play him. Yeah. And you had a chance to play like Jed Jerko at third and Carpenter at second, and you had to put out the team that you thought was you know, in the best shape for you. But here's what I think, is that Colton Wong has such a chemistry with Mike Schilt. I mean, they were together in double A, and Wong knows no matter what happens, if he goes 0 for 4 in Mexico against the Reds today with three strikeouts, he's probably playing on Monday night. Yeah. So one of the big things, actually, what drove the most this past week was anything David Freeze related that we put out online because you got in the locker room with him after his last game here where he hit, where he hit the home run here. Let's, let's play a bite from that real quick. Incredible. Um, I don't do that everywhere. You know, these, these, you know, I think growing up here, I've always said, I think growing up here probably played a little bit extra to it. But, um, you know, what we did, you know, in 11 especially, it's, it's just special. And I think about, you know, my future of sitting in the seats, you know, for a lot of ball games here at the stadium um, with my kid, with my friends, with my family. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to the rest of this year, but I'm looking forward to those moments too. So Cardinal fans obviously always give the guy that comes back the big – the big applause, no matter if it's Greg Garcia or whoever it is. But David Freeze's connection is definitely special. And the way he was talking, he said this might be his last, this probably will be his last time back at Bush as a player. Is that kind of the vibe you got from the locker room? It is, and it surprised me a little bit. In fact, I asked him a little bit later with the way you're swinging, and I think he's 35, 36, 36, that you, you know, there's usually a market for these professional kind of pinch hitters or guys who can play first base. So I, I think in his mind, he believes this is it. Um, I do believe, I think the most fascinating question surrounding the whole free situation now is, what happens uh, four or five years from now? Uh, I'm on the Red Ribbon Committee that puts together the ballot for the Hall of Fame in St. Louis. Uh, free certainly doesn't have the numbers that, say, a Scott Rowland has. But I do think when you have the greatest World Series in the history of Cardinal baseball and you are a St. Louisan and you single-handedly <laughs> won that World Series, I think that if we put his name on the ballot, he's going to get oh, in. Oh, yeah, the fans, uh, since it's a fan, oh, there's no question about that he's going to be wearing I mean, you got to remember, Tommy Hurst, not in, yeah. better player. Edgar Renteria, not in, better player. Yeah. But you put everything together— and it's just special. Yeah. It's so it'll special. be fun to watch. That's the first episode of the KSDK Sports Plus podcast. We'll catch you next week.